Listener Production. Yeah, g'day. Mike the Third here, TOEFOP producer. Hey, the guys are having a break today, so we thought we would share an episode from a mate's podcast. This is Will chatting with Ursula Carlson on their podcast. That's enough already. It's producer Nat here. I'm going to be guiding you through literally one of the funniest episodes with comedy legend, the one and only Will Anderson. It is so funny. Will chats about his straight-up coffee addiction to the point where it's actually annoying his sister's dog. You'll see why. And one of the most uncomfortable things that has ever happened during one of his sets, and I am still laughing from this. So let's kick it off. This is part one with Will Anderson. Shh, that's quite enough. Oh, just, just shut your mouth. I don't give a stuff. It, shush, please. Uh-huh. Yes, I can hear. Down, but please. I don't care. That's enough already. How do you how do you feel about the idea that you're now at that age group that you can be an inspiration to people though? I don't give a fuck about that. You know what scares the shit out of me? Someone said to me yesterday, and I just always think like they're this kid, right? Yeah. He's 35 years old. 35 years old. And if I had lived in a real bogan area, I could have been his mum. Oh, I look at footballers and cricketers. Yeah. And they all look like men. Like there are, you know, men in the Australian cricket team that I would call sir if I met them in real life who are young enough to be my children. I know. <laughs> I know. My mum always used to say, she goes, if you're watching like a beauty pageant like Miss South Africa, we used to watch Miss South Africa on the, you know, I remember lying on my stomach on the ground, my, holding my chin, kicking my feet, just looking at the hot ladies, but then it was just ladies. Um, and, and like just go, oh, all these aunties are so pretty. And then my mum and my aunt, aunt, actual aunties would go, um, you know, you know you're getting old when the Miss South African pageant looks like just a whole bunch of four-year-olds walking around. And I never understood that. Now I do. Now I look at them and go, those children need to go cover up and they will freeze to death. Oh, it's amazing that we thought we were adults when we were 18 and 19 and 20 because mm-hmm. when I say 18, 19 and 20-year-olds, I'm like, you haven't even grown into your teeth yet. Exactly. Like, your frontal lobe they- is still settling. <laughs> you don't how know they- shit. How have they let you out into the world at this stage of your life? This is a terrible disaster. I, like, okay, my manager yeah. is two years younger than me or a year younger. Anyway, too old to be learning to drive. And I said to her, you have to have that... Dumb as absolute fuck was in you to be able to drive. You cannot start in your 40 plus. It's, it's too late. It's too late. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's right. It's a terrible idea. You know all the, you know all the consequences at that point. You can't be learning how to that's drive. Right. That's right. You've got to do it in your early 20s. <laughs> yeah, one of my favourites is I'll uh, sometimes have some young young fella, like early 20s, late teens roll up to me and I'm like, oh, here we go. What's this about? Like. Yeah. Because clearly this person is not in my demographic, you know. He hasn't seen anything that I do. So it's yeah. not going to be directly from him to me, this message. And it is always, well, 95% of the time, my mum loves you. Yes. Like, and on that timeline now, if that kid is in their late teens or early 20s, I'm like, your mum doesn't just love me. Your mum at some stage had a crush on me. I, I dated was, your mum in high school. <laughs> I could be your dad. Are yeah. you checking? Yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how fucking old we're getting. I'm sure you have a hidden, like, what is your hidden talent? You know, like my thing is I make a perfect cup of coffee every oh. time. I make the best coffee. Whatever you're into... I can make it. 
And I'm very good at it. And I can work 99% of coffee machines out there. Any type of coffee thing you've got, this you've got the slow drip, you've got the Italian, you've got the air. I can do it. I can do all of it. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So like on that, so I'm currently house-sitting for my uh, – we're talking during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Yeah. I normally stay in the city during the Comedy Festival. This year I'm staying in the suburbs, like 40 minutes drive from the centre of the Sydney. I am house-sitting and dog-sitting for my sister and her family who are away on a school holiday. They've got the most beautiful coffee machine and they get fresh beans delivered every couple of weeks and I have been jittering my way around this house for two weeks because I have a coffee about every <laughs> half an hour because it's so nice. Every time, like my I, life. every time I make myself one, I, I'm like, I'll take the dog for another walk. I'm full of energy. <laughs> that I'm dog's hiding. Like, it's like, fuck, he's coming. <laughs> Every time he hears that, he's like, oh shit, get away from me. <laughs> It's one of those things, honestly, where I'm like, because coffee is so expensive at the moment. Like, I mean, you know, coffee at Perth prices all over Australia oh, now these days, yeah. like $7 for a latte. And so every time I make myself a latte, in my head, I'm like, seven bucks saved. Yeah. So like in a day, I feel like the more coffee I have at home, it's almost like the more money I've made in that day, like I'm crypto mining. <laughs> I, I'm, you're talking, your lips are moving and all I'm thinking is, wait, what does your sister do? She can afford a holiday and a coffee machine? Well, you talk about what does my sister do. So yeah. here's what I'm going to say to you. You know one of those moments where you have it rubbed in your face of how badly you manage your own money because – there is no way, and I mean being just like I'm probably like I'm, I'm guessing, but I, I think it's probably a pretty accurate guess yeah. that for every year of the last 20 years, I have earned more money than my sister and her husband combined, like in that yeah. time. And yet their house is beautiful. Uh, <laughs> they have a very nice coffee machine. They've managed to raise four children and send them to school. Ooh. They all go to, they went to a basketball tournament in Adelaide. I'm like, how do you manage your money? <laughs> because I always feel like I've got no money. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, like I talk to my mate about this all the time. Like when we're on the road and go, oh, it's just Uber Eats every night and, you know, heaps of weed and and then you get the munchies so it's more Uber Eats late at night. So uh, all of that all of that shit adds up and then you go, uh, and of course, you know, I'm not an animal so you want a bottle of red wine and, and now before you look at it, you go, and that... That's just one night out of yeah. 45 on the road in one stint. And then you go, your sister would have one of those nights as a blowout per year. <laughs> I don't know if you're like this, but when I'm doing a tour, suddenly any rule that I might have for how I conduct myself or live my life goes out the window in service to the show. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, I do that thing of just going, you know what? I think the show's telling me that I need to have like a really expensive hot chocolate now because I need 12, 1,200 calories to live in a warm beverage just before the show. And I think the show is telling me that I should have toast for breakfast today. Like it, it all becomes that the show is sending these secret messages yeah. to me like pregnancy cravings and like yeah. all my usual rules for living my life can go out the window. Yeah, no, and I, I want to do things that I wouldn't normally, like this now while I'm here for Melbourne Comedy Festival, I've gone to the sauna four times just sitting yeah. in this hot box, which I would never do, but then I'm like, I'm going to write a, a joke about this, I'm sure of it, so this is going to be tax deductible. <laughs> Everything I do, I'm like, no, no, I'm sure, or I better get a massage. Yeah. I never, I don't like people touching me, but now all of a sudden I'm like, no, I actually I think a nice hot hot stone massage is just a ticket. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a 
experiencing this tour. <laughs> I mean, I, I do wonder about those people who say do a Vegas run. So like the issue with like, you know, you tour all over the world and you do a whole bunch of festivals over the world. So occasionally you get to be in somewhere for a month like you are in Melbourne and you're doing a show every night. So you get a small insight into what it would be like to be one of those Vegas acts who say you do 300 shows a year, but you they're all at the same theatre, you live in the same town, you go home, you live your life and like your life is just, you just go and do your show at night and then otherwise you live your life. Now, which of those would you prefer? So do, would you prefer the one where you tour all over the world, you do your festivals, you do your one-nighters, or would you love that idea of just going, yeah, say... Okay, so Celine yeah. was sort of in my growing up, that was her. She did that massive Vegas run and she's nuts. Like you look at her now and I go, mm. it's that Vegas run that fucked her up. Now I see Adele is doing Vegas and you can see she she ticks them all. She goes, another one done, another one done on her social. She has to post every night. Another one done. She, it's like... When prisoners carved the number on the back of the door, <laughs> you can see that bitch's soul left her body. There's nothing behind the eyes. She's just going through the motions every night. You know what's the beauty of our job is we get to travel. We get yeah. to do all these nuts things and just go, oh, I'm doing it for the show. I'm doing this shit for the show. Mm. Like I ate fucking vegan for a week. Like, you know, we're doing all this crazy stuff. But the minute you stop, it's like you manage to make the coolest job in the world, a boring office job. Yeah, I think that you're right. There, there is something about the change of environment and change of circumstance. Like I think there's part part of like what being a comedian is interesting, particularly even just doing like a long run at the festival, is that idea that you can essentially be doing the same show every night and yet the experience can be completely different from night to night. And sometimes I was talking to Tommy Little about this the other night because I had one of those like a night that surprises you. This last Saturday before we're talking, it was like a big sold out Saturday yeah. night show. This will be just like an easy night at work tonight. And they had been passionate enough about the show to book the tickets and they'd certainly been passionate about enough about the show to get to the venue, you know, drive, park, maybe even book some dinner reservations that night. They weren't quite passionate enough to clap all the way to the microphone. Oh, no. Yeah, that one of those ones where you just know, (laughs) where you're just like, all right, okay, this is is going to be work tonight. (laughs) Literally couldn't, couldn't all the way to. Yeah, where well, you have to kind of wave your hand yeah, a little to get them to clap, like on. just so you can make it all you the way to, to the mic. You a little bit. Come, come quite hear you because you fucking stop. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> That's normally when I blame whoever's doing the scanning as they come in because obviously, yeah. like you say, they had the enthusiasm, they had the passion, they had everything. They queued up outside like farm animals in the rain and then came in. Something happened from cracking through the doors to getting on their seats. Something pissed them off. It's the ticket scanning people. And they're already, you know, sort of going, fucking let's just get this shit started. Dance, monkey boy, dance. And you're like, why why do I feel so much pressure right off the bat? It's the scanners. I tell you what. Can I tell you this? I went and saw Cameron James's show that he did last year that got nominated for one of the best shows at the festival called Electric Dreams. And it's about uh, his dreams of being a rock musician as a teenager. And it's such a brilliant show. But it's set around the year 2000. So at the start of the show they have on – a screen at the start, like various images from around that time and like bands of the time, movies of the time, like TV shows of the time. And there's this random 
penis. Like I, can't, I don't even know if it's just that's a joke or if that is a thing from the time, but it's this like random just picture of this big penis. So anyway. Oh, that was my photo I sent it. <laughs> So he's doing a one. You, you send a lot of dick pics to people, which is interesting. It's not your dick. That is that is that throws people off. Well, that's the I don't clever thing it about it. <laughs> if they ever come to compare dicks and go, see, it's not mine. It's not mine. Happy to show you. It's a foolproof mine plan. Mine fell in. <laughs> They just go out to your garage, they find it hidden in your golf bag. You've just like shoved it in there. Just Just a ball sticking out the top. (laughs) (laughs) With my Bart and Homer Simpson covers (laughs) on. Well, she's got it in with the woods. That's appropriate, I suppose. (laughs) That's good news. So. I um I'm watching his show. It's a brilliant show, and but this is one of those moments that was beyond his control that could have ruined the entire gig. Luckily, everybody in the room understood that it had been yeah. a mistake, right? Like it clearly wasn't one of those things that was done on purpose. But at the start of uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival shows, but often shows around Australia at festivals, there will be a, an acknowledgement of country or a welcome to country, which is a message from like the Indigenous people of Australia or on behalf of the acknowledgement that, you know, Australia, you know, is stolen land. And so they play one at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It comes up at the start and literally at the bit that they get to the this always will be Aboriginal land, like this <laughs> penis just comes up on the screen. And I'm sorry to laugh at this because I'm only laughing because it was so inappropriate. Like if it had been done on purpose, like the yeah. gig would have ended there. Like literally if anyone had thought like he'd timed this, like it would just like <laughs> – People just would have started burning shit, like literally burning down the venue at the start of the gig. I was like, oh, you poor thing. But anyway, I think luckily he did not know that that had happened until after the gig because I think if he knew that had happened at the start, you're like, oh, my God, how do you you keep that out of your mind for the rest of the night? You can't. It's impossible. What is the craziest shit that has ever happened in your room, like while you're doing a show? Because how many how many solo shows have you got? You've got like fucking twenty or thirty. Uh, twenty seven. So this is twenty yeah. seventh. Yeah. So, um, oh, I mean, over the years, like so, so many things. Is is honestly the yeah. truth, as you would know. Like, like I mean, I've had people have heart attacks. I've never had anyone die at a show, which yeah. like. Knock on wood, I, I yeah. hope that I mean obviously my audience is getting older, so it becomes more and more like to get to see this <laughs> I have this um uh like just from this year. So uh, on my first night here in Melbourne this year, uh there was a heckler up the back. It turns out he was just like drunk and he misinterpreted like yeah. a joke in the show. So I have this bit about the diggers, which is what we call the return yeah. service people, you know, in Australia. And um, it's definitely on their side. It is a very pro-digger routine. Felt to me like it's so clear that I'm on the right side of this that no yeah. one would ever complain. And then this guy, I think he was just too drunk to understand the point of the bit. He gets angry. This guy has misheard something that I've said 
absolutely overreacted in the wrong situation. <laughs> and then I heard later from somebody that one of my other audience members, and I do not endorse this anyway, but this is an online style escalation, shouted at him in the street outside my venue that they hoped he had a car accident <laughs> on the way home and died. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. It's just it's a heckle. I he was can live. It. It's, okay. it's like it when you used to die in a oh. fire cunt and you're like, oh, that's a lot. Oh, my God. This is too much. It's okay. It's yeah, just meant to be a fun is, night this out. This is what happens when I'm riding into my venue on the bike and I'm in the cycle lane and I'm riding with my tour manager and if anyone's in the cycle lane, like sometimes the taxi, their ass is sort of, hangs out into the cycle lane. That's not something, I, I mean, I do enjoy road rage, but that isn't some, very triggering to me. With Tom, right. that is something that just absolutely pushes him over the edge. He's like, oh, that's it. He goes, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, like, and he'll yell. He goes, I'm going to hammer his boot. I'm like, dude, just let it go. It's like, you know, but then he'll yell stuff like that. Fucking die in a fire, can't. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't match. It doesn't match. So um, you ask about weird things that happen at gigs. So I was doing a corporate show and it was a huge uh, fundraising benefit for a really good cause. So it was one of those nights where it wasn't just a comedy night. It was like they had a range of speakers. So some of them were inspirational speakers. Some of them were motivational speakers. There was like a finance guy. There was a sports guy. Yeah, yeah. And then like I was doing some comedy as well. The guy behind, before me who came on before me, he was a guy in a wheelchair who competed for Australia at the Olympics but he'd also climbed Mount Everest. And so he was telling this incredible story of like being this dude who's in a wheelchair but was also able to climb Mount Everest. So he was going to be tough to follow yeah. at the best of times to come on and go, hey, so I grew up on a dairy farm. How are you guys going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a richest to richest story. How's it going in here? <laughs> So here's what happens. This guy makes this incredible speech. Like honestly, it's it's brilliant. Like it's it's obviously his thing that he takes to all these corporates. So it's, you know, the whole thing's been done a million times. It has this Polished. perfect crescendo. Like the entire audience give him a standing ovation, which I honestly thought was bad taste to a guy in a wheelchair. I felt, felt like give him the respect to stay in your seats, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> Don't rub it in. This guy you know the just... rules. Scoot your chair forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So um, because this stage has been um, like brought into this room, it's not like a venue that is geared, geared to accessibility. Instead of having like a ramp for this dude to like come up, they have one of those like, you know, like mm. lifts like those mechanical lifts so that he just rolls into it and then it just lowers him down the back. But it's got like a safety light and a little small beep that I guess it has to have for whatever reasons, <laughs> right? And so the MC of the night like thinks that this guy's gone so well that he might as well keep the night rolling and get me out there to do my stand-up comedy. Now, like at the best of times, I would have liked a couple of minutes of resetting the room for me to come out and do my thing after that. But in this particular instance, it would have been even more uh, uh, you know, helpful to me because I had to do the first five minutes of my set while this hero who just had everyone enthralled with his hero story of getting up Mount Everest is being lowered slowly down behind me with this like beep and this flashing light while I'm trying to be like, so politics, what's going on with John Howard and stuff? You know when you're wanking into a sock, beep, beep. 
And I'm like, he fucking made it up Everest by himself. Yeah. He could probably get down off the stage without this. He's he doesn't need it. this. He's a hero. Oh, no, I didn't. I wish I'd have. had the courage. I, <laughs> I, was, I 100% would have just get him a rope. Let him he'll be fine. It's like a metre and a half. Like, that's, like, that's disrespectful to this guy. This is just a stage. Yeah, patronising him. Like, leave him be. Yeah. He can sort it out. I honestly thought that story was going to go um, because it was just a drop-in stage and there was no safety or anything. He rolled off stage and he fell off. That's where I thought that was going to go. So oh, I, I mean, was, that, would have been a, that would have been a blessing <laughs> compared to what actually happened. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> tell tell me because uh, I have two things that uh, conversation starters mm-hmm. that um, producer okay. Natalie milked you for. Um, yeah, I did. I did uh, notice. I know. That I, I know. I usually, usually hate it like, when people go. Like, go glad that you, you and I will I'm really like, need some worry. conversation starters. <laughs> <laughs> I think we started the conversation <laughs> half an yeah, hour so, ago. <laughs> we were saying uh, when, especially radio stations. But I get it. Your personality doesn't have to yeah. reflect who you are on stage. But when you're promoting your show, people want to. You know, you can't be all. Yeah, so I've got a show that's coming up in uh, yeah Melbourne uh, Town Hall. Uh, yeah, it's going to, you know, like you listen to them on radio and you go, fuck, yeah. I don't want to go see this guy. And then- it's my it's my advice to new people all the time, which is like the radio stations aren't no. interested in you. Like they're interested in not, not having to do something yeah. for three and a half minutes. And if you can come in and be funny and interesting and entertaining for three it. and a half minutes, they'll get you back on every year. Like that's what every they Every year. And now my spots are like 10 minutes. I'm there. I'm doing the morning yeah. show. I'm doing, I'm doing that's right. the first yeah. two blocks. <laughs> can we get us a guest host today? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's doing yeah, 10 yeah. to 12. 100%. They go, do you mind staying for three breaks? I'm like, no, nah, not at all. Yeah. And I just, I, I, you know, keep your energy up, keep it short, sharp. And boom, 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 what would people like to hear in the car? That's what I always say, even if you, because you know, as a comic, there's no down days. I remember the day my dad died, I opened a show that night in Wellington. Like there's no sick days, there's no, um, the only time I've ever cancelled a show was because we lost a baby that morning. And then I didn't do a show that night, but I did a show the next night. But people, when you go and promote your stuff or whatever, you got to be, Ah, if you're the best tasting cereal, but you're in a box that looks shit, no one's going to taste the fucking cereal ever. But the thing that I would always think is I'm playing to maximum 300, 400 people tonight, but there's like 40,000 people listening to this right now. Like more people are going to hear me do this interview than are ever going to come and see the show. So this is actually the show. What I'm doing right now is the show and you hope that like 1% of the people listening to it right now might actually come and see the real show, but this is also the show. Even if they're not coming to the show tonight, they will look you up or if they do see you somewhere in their feed because that's how fucking algorithms work, all of a sudden they're going to see you everywhere. Now they've bought that second-hand car. They've seen you, so now they're going to keep seeing you. And then eventually they're going to follow you and it's like playing the long game. And stop. But stay tuned for part two of Ursula's Chat with Will Anderson.
there's a heck of a lot more laughs to be had when Urs shares her recent encounter with the police and why Will just can't use car horns correctly and it absolutely shits him. I don't care, that's enough already. This is my theory on any television show or anything. I never prep. I don't want to know anything that goes on in any of the shows. I don't, even if I get to do a new show, like say I get to do a show in another, say for instance, QI, and I go, Mm -hmm. I've never seen QI, and they go, we'll send you a link, and I go, "Mm, thanks, but I won't watch it because I think uh, the the comedy brain (laughs) wants to act under pressure. You know, you want to come up with something on the fly. I think, what is the difference, me knowing what's going to happen and reacting slower on the night? You treat every opportunity like you're on the TV show, thank God you're here. You're just like, I don't know what this is. I'm here. I'll adapt as we go on and see what happens. The first time I ever did stand-up or ever went to a stand-up comedy show was the first time I ever did stand-up. I'd never watched stand-up. I'd never been to a show. I had no idea. So when friends said, you sh- you're funny, you should go do stand-up, they booked it in and I just, uh, they said, it's five minutes, I have to write five minutes. So I wrote some jokes that I thought was funny, with just story things, and then I read it out and it was four minutes and I thought, that's long enough, I'd give them a minute to laugh. Yep. So arrogant. <laughs> so <laughs> I assume at least 20% of this will be laughter. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Not knowing that under intense pressure and adrenaline, I'm going to read that form in 30 seconds. Anyway. And over the top of any laughs that are happening. So you don't actually have to count it as extra time. It's concurrent time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know any of that, did I? So so the first year was tough, but I I learned so much in that, you know. And it was just... um, yeah, it was just crazy. So I think that sort of has worked for me, not the unknown, because I think my brain wants to fill it, fill that space and wants to fill that space with funny shit. Like Easter Monday, I got pulled over by the cops. I had just left Narrawarran and I was going 101 kilometres an hour. But yeah. I had bought the kids uh, um, these dinosaur masks that you put over your face and then it's just got elastic and as you talk, it looks like the dinosaur mask oh, yeah. is talking, sure. you know. It's just plastic and elastic. It's probably the thing that's going to sink the earth. But no, um, if, if that's the thing, like, I mean, I'm of okay all the things that. that are happening, if that's yeah. the thing, if yeah. that is the one that tips us right over the edge, then yeah, not that, on you, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, but anyway, so my six-year-old played with it for a bit and then put it in the back, you know, on the back bit there by the back window in the car. Yes. Right, uh, but in the back of the car was the six-year-old, his sister, and then my mother-in-law in the middle of the two baby seats or booster seats, and then in the front myself and my bestie. So we're driving, and then I get pulled over by the cops. So this lady police officer walks up, and I can check her in the mirror, walking up, and I'm like, you know, it's a tense situation when you get pulled over, and you're like, um, and then she comes right up to the window, and she has obviously seen the dinosaur mask in the back, and she just pops her head in. And the first thing she says to me is, what's up with the dinosaur in the back? And I just looked at her and I go, that is my mother-in-law. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> and her and I and my friend next to me, we fucking cack. Like, we laughed so hard. The setup was so 
kind of sums up where mm. if you're in a precious situation, you're going to come up with funny shit. Right. But also, if you look like George Garland, Robin Williams, um, Jim Gaffigan, even Joan Rivers, if you look at their material, if you just had to read that in an essay, you go, okay, this is a fucking maniac that wrote some shit down. But right. it's in the <laughs> delivery, right? Like... <laughs> It all comes down to the delivery and the chemistry between you and the audience. Yeah, you're right. It's meant to be about that idea that, you know, hopefully you connect with why I'm angry about this or why it's my perspective. But do you ever have something that despite how many times you've done it now where you're like, this is definitely like hilarious and I find this hilarious, that doesn't translate? Do you ever have that moment still where it surprises you? Yes, 100%. 100%. I just mm. did a thing about drag queens grooming children. Mm. And I'm like, drag queens don't groom, they stylize. Grooming is, <laughs> is a straight people's sport. Like, we don't, guys don't groom. Hey, <laughs> but do you ever get one of those things, those jokes where you go, I know this is funny. I don't know how to tell you yet. Yes. And it's just sort of in the delivery or in the, even if you just scooch the start to the middle in the middle, you know, sometimes it's just simple like that. Or you need to change a number. Like, I didn't realise when I started doing comedy how some numbers are just funnier than others. Like seven is funnier than four. You don't know why, but people will laugh when you go, you've got seven (laughs) children in the back. Well, if you go four children in the back, they go, yes. Yeah, it's not quite comical (laughs) enough, is it? (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favourite things is also just, like sometimes just finding that word or that one phrase to describe something that just unlocks it. Like there, you know, where you're just like, ah, there it is. Like sometimes that moment where you, like you said, you know something's funny or you know an idea is worth talking about or you know that there's something unique in the way that you're getting people to look at something but you haven't in you 70% of the way there or 80% of the way there and just that night when you unlock it and you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's exactly how it yeah, should have gone the yeah. entire time. <laughs> Got this like story about the first time I went out to like after the pandemic. So it's quite this like going to see Kendrick Lamar and I tell this whole like story of this is the first time that I go out and, you know, I'm the only person wearing a mask and the twist is that I'm wearing a mask because I'm older than everybody at the show. Like it it leads to a whole other thing but like that's basically was the original premise. But there was this one line where I said that I lied to this like other woman who was like the next oldest person and told her that I had, you know, I'd brought my kids to the show (laughs) and now it's become like honestly three minutes about how well I treat my imaginary children. Like that's the bit now, which it was like the throwaway. And yeah. then you're just like, no, this is the bit that everyone is enjoying the most. I'm enjoying the most. Yeah. Like these imaginary children and how well I treat them and the things I take them to and all yeah. this. And then like the whole point of the bit, it's almost like a letdown when I actually get to what the point <laughs> of the bit is after this like yeah. thing that just, I was like, I, I don't know where it came from, but it's like my favourite bit in the show. But that's the, that's the little joys that mm. the shows give. It's like I'd never want to look at the sound guy and see boredom in his eyes or mm. like he just hopes he can go on his phone but he can't because everyone can see him kind of situation. I never want to see that. I want to I want to come up with new shit, just little bits every night where afterwards they go, that bit that you did there. And I'm like, yes, he was paying attention. Like that's the little treats. That's our little payoffs. Yeah, I mean, we get the laughter and all of that, but those little, that's the little treats. <laughs> it's funny Easter that ends. you say that because I literally had the other night. So the theatre I play, I literally I played that same theatre for 13 or 14 
18 years. And so the feedback I respect the most of any feedback I get during the festival is what the people who've worked there for all those years think of the show. 100%. Because I'm like, you didn't, like, you're paid to be here. You're here against your will technically. Like, I mean, you know, two months ago you were seeing 90 people on stage doing Come From Away. Like, tonight you just seen me yell about Roald Dahl. (laughs) Like, so your feedback I I value. 100%. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm like, and or if the ushers say something, if the ushers yeah. talk to me after the show, I'm like, hi. I'm yeah. like, can I have a photo with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Hey, can I ask you? Are your yes. friends made up mainly of comedians or normies? Definitely, I have a lot of friends in comedy, lifelong friends in comedy, and that's yeah. why I love festivals. Is like going to. Like, you know, having those conversations with people that you can't have those conversations with anybody else. No, but I reckon right. about half and half. What is it yeah. for you? Yeah, I, I think it's about half and half. Or maybe, Yeah, no, it's about half and half, I reckon. Because mm. it's like, like you said, there's no one that can understand a comedian quite like another comedian because we just have a darker sense of humour and I almost feel like I have to apologise to my friends when I come back from tour because then I'm oh. sort of still a bit wild that two, three days after and I'll say You know something. that thing when you've been talking, yeah, you've been talking yeah. to comedians only yeah. and then you take that level of conversation into a scenario that isn't it's, quite that level. So. Uh, and also like just just if you suddenly find yourself back in the dating game, you can't. It's impossible. Like, oh, my God. It's you just it's so hard because people just go, Why would you say that? And I'm like, Oh no, uh, that's oh. twist speak. Yeah, but the fact yeah. that it would live in your head, I'm like, Oh no, there's much darker that lives in there. I'm only that, letting out the grace. Yeah. That's your line. You don't oh even know God. the overprint black stuff that's in there. That's this is this is hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, man. Hey, have I ever told you that Russell that's on Gruen with you, so for those playing. Russell Howcroft. Yeah, that's playing the home game, um, Will, of course, is uh, host the Gruen transfer. Um, and so Russell used to be my boss, like long before comedy, long before I started doing comedy. In advertising. Yeah. He was the CEO of YNR. And he would fly over occasionally to New Zealand and we'd all have to tidy up our desks and make sure the timesheets are done because Russell's coming, <laughs> you know, and then we'd all go sit in the in the lunchroom bar area, everyone with a Heineken drink slowly, you're not fucking getting pissed while Russell's here. And we'd all just be <laughs> sipping our Heinekens and he'd come in and do like a little motivational speech, basically the equivalent of him climbing Everest and then we're all like, as soon as he leaves, like, oh, thank fuck he's gone and then we get on the piss. But. Yeah, he would come. He would come once a month, I reckon. That's so funny. I mean, the advertising industry does seem like one of those ones, though, from the conversations I hear backstage, where, like, for people who are outside the industry, they probably don't know this, but if like an advertising agency has a big client, like, yeah. so there might be one, one or two big clients that really are employing half of the people 100%. who work there in some form. So if you lose that client, they just mm-hmm. seem to be like one day an agency will be 30 people, the next day it's 120 people, and then three months later it's like eight people. And you're like, yeah. what happened? Yeah, what no, just went on? This is what I don't, like when we lose a client, say, so I worked for Ogilvy in New Zealand too. We lose a client, a big client, right, mm-hmm. say Rebel Sport or the Briscoe Group, they go over 
and sign up with YNR. So now YNR won the pitch, but they don't have the staff because they were still on eight people. Now they come and get all of us that used to work on the account. We're now still working on the account. So yeah. at Rebel Sports, like, well, we change <laughs> agents, agencies. It's all going to be fresh in yeah. here. And I'm like, no, bitch, it's still just exactly me. all of us. <laughs> you, all just of have us. A, you basically have a different HR department. <laughs> The only people that have changed is reception and HR. <laughs> you are now at Y and HR. This is our new company. <laughs> <laughs> so I always loved it. And then the first time the client comes for a visit and they sort of look out at all of us and we're all like, yeah, yes, Stacey, it's still us, bitch. And then you can see this shock. So look, the last job that I had, um, uh, so I was working at the Herald Weekly Times here in Melbourne and uh, – um, basically what I was doing, because I had a journalism degree and I quit journalism. I'd been working in the camera press gallery, come to Melbourne and do stand-up comedy. Yeah. But, of course, as you know, like doesn't pay that well in the first couple of years. So I'd burnt through all the money that I had saved and I needed to get another job again. So I got this job writing um, – uh, well, selling advertising and writing advertorial copy for the Herald and Weekly Times. So the Weekly Times is their like farm magazine, their country magazine, their sort of rural newspaper, I guess that they would. Yeah. So occasionally like some big tractor company or like, you know, landscaping company or whatever would buy a double page and they'd need to have a bit of advertorial copy that ran next yeah. to, that felt like journalism but definitely was advertising. And yeah. So that was basically my role. It was I was no good at selling stuff. I would have been terrible, like, you know, pursuing that as a long-term career. But I had one of those bosses that just, I don't know what was going through his mind because I was contributing nothing. Like <laughs> it was clear. It was demonstrable how little I was doing in the office. I would often pretend I was going out to like find a client or do an interview and just go to the movies. Oh I wouldn't God. even leave the city. I wouldn't even get in my car. I wouldn't get my car out of the car park. I would just wander <laughs> down the street and I would go and see a movie and then I would go back to the office. And I still Smelling to, of popcorn. Still to this day cannot, like, believe that I quit that job. Yeah. Like, I was just like, what do I need to do to get fired from this job? Like, one day I just had to go in and say, I'm leaving. I quit. <laughs> you are going to notice productivity goes up just from having me not here. Yeah. You won't need to replace me. I'm doing nothing. You're coping <laughs> fine without me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I think we all have jobs like that. But I was so that really set me up. And then it, comedy just kind of, you know, I yeah, mean, it took yeah, over. you know, everyone has sort of those baked bean months, you know, where you go, we're going to have a lot of toast and baked beans this month. But, yeah, but you know, you never know. Might go to, back to baked bean months at some hey, stage. We are all one bad tweet away. Exactly. From and, fucking going back to the baked bean days. And as Jimmy Carr often says, the thing you're going to get cancelled for, you probably already said. So, 100%. <laughs> so you tweeted that not, in 2008. Yeah, it's, it's not in your future. It's in your past. That's Someone what I, hasn't found it yet. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there has been stuff. There has been stuff that oh, I've gotten in trouble But for. of course, but also because the times have changed. There are things that... I said in the past that I would not say today. Mate, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not a, like a futurist. Yeah, like, There might yeah. be something in my show right now that is really offensive in 10 years from now. Yeah. Like I think that sometimes with eating meat, it, it seems to be the one that – so I don't eat meat, but like I – but 
Eating meat feels like one of those things that say 50 years from now or 70 yeah. years or 100 years from now, people might look back on and go, you ate meat or you were proud of eating meat. Yeah. Like, But you don't know what it is. It might not no. be eating meat. It might be like like if you don't know at the time, like it's very hard to then get in a time machine and go, you should have known 10 years ago what the correct yeah. term was to use in this situation. <laughs> Hey, Will, let me ask you something. What is the thing about other people that shit you to absolute death? Mm, Interesting. Um, Okay, so I think for me it's got to be people who think that everything was better in the olden days. Like it's my one hate in life. Anyone who like whose entire shtick is being a reactionary, like I feel like the easiest job in media is being – like, and there is part of me sometimes that is so tempted to just make that turn, to do the, you know, the Joe Rogan switch, the Russell Brand rebranding, the Steve Price of Australia where you just be the grumpy curmudgeon who sits on the end of a panel because it's the easiest job in the entire world. Yeah. You don't have to prepare. All you have to do is listen grumble. to what everybody else says and then just grumble that that's not good or yeah. things were better in the older days. And so that's my... That's my pet hate, I think. Yeah, I I have to, um, as an immigrant, I have very close friends who will only shop at South African shops and buy South African spices, South African tomatoes or South African mayonnaise. I'm like, why the fuck did you move? Just go back there. Now you're paying four times for fucking egg and olive oil in a jar, you know, like just go back. Stop with this shit. Like, you know, like, yeah, I I buy the occasional, like if I see, oh, these spices are good from South Africa. But, you know, most of those are stocked in my local shop. But South African mayonnaise is the best because, like, they're experts in being able to separate the whites. So So good. So good. (laughs) 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 See, that's the dinosaur in the back. It just came you. Why would you write a show? Just fucking get on stage, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it never <laughs> it almost always splits with us. <laughs> you can always see the big divide between the oil and the egg. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, what what's the thing about you that shits you to death? Uh I am a, 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 like this is, <laughs> So uh, I'm a reluctant horn user. So we were talking about driving earlier and I I think that I'd love to be able to assert myself more in traffic situations but I doubt my own – like I I feel like the horn is too open to interpretation. Like we're not clear enough about – like we've got a one-horn-fits-all policy that I do not think – like there's too fine a line to me between like sometimes somebody's like, you know, in say in a left-hand turn lane there's a little arrow. They haven't seen the arrow for whatever reason. They're in front of you and all you want to communicate to that person is a little like, hey, the arrow's changed. Hey, I'm cool. Being a good – I'm just – you might not have noticed. (laughs) Hey, hey. And every time I try to use the horn it always comes off as like, fuck. Fuck you, fuck you. Move, God. (laughs) Why? We spend so much time teaching people how to drive and yet we spend none of that time on running us through how hard or soft to hit the horn in that situation. And, again, it's like a bye-bye thing. You know, the bye-bye horn, the little bye-bye, like cannot master that. Every single person I've ever tried to say goodbye to in a car thinks that I've just driven off going fuck you (laughs) or silent. 
because I go too far one way or the other. The amount of times I've driven away from family trying to give them a bye-bye wave and then just gone the other way and just tapped my horn, no noises come out, and I've just gone, that'll do. I'm out of here. <laughs> that'll do. What do you drive? Uh, so uh, I, I, how's this? So I used to have a, um, a vintage car. I had a 1967 um, Ford Mustang. It was a beautiful car. It got stolen. Yeah. And um, I rang the police. True story. I rang the police and I said, hey, my car got stolen. What should I do? And this is literally what the Australian policeman said to me. He said, mate, you're going to have to buy a new car. <laughs> And I was like, is there not something between those two steps that the police get involved in? I was always under the impression that you might look for it or something. Do you want a description, some clues, anything, where it was? Um, but so I didn't have a car for about 10 years. I drive a um, an Audi, like a like an Audi sort of, like it's a one of those, not a four-wheel drive, but a thing that looks like an SUV, I guess uh, they call it, right? Yeah. And But apparently I was in the city the other day and so I'm in like, I'm in the left-hand lane but there's a right-hand lane as well of traffic both going in the same direction. So we're stopped yeah. at the lights. So if you can imagine, I'm the first car where the lights are. There is like a car next to me on the right-hand side that's also going to go through that lights. One back behind them is a taxi cab. So this taxi cab, in my rearview mirror, I can see this taxi cab trying to get my attention and I'm thinking, oh, maybe my tyre's flat or something, you know. like So yeah. I wind down my window and he has wound down the passenger side window so that he can shout at me through the window to my car. And he shouts this at me. He goes, people who drive your car are the worst drivers on the road. Like this. <laughs> So just a, just a random piece of feedback from this. I hadn't done anything to cut him off. I yeah. was, it was slightly undermined by the fact that I was eating a chocolate paddle pop at the same time. When I, like, it did undermine my, my, I wanted to like, but I had my paddle pop, so I couldn't really get angry. Well, so you can't get too aggressive when you have a paddle pop. But it undermines any authority you might have in that situation is the fact that you have to put down your paddle pop to make a point. But like the I'd, I hadn't cut him off. I hadn't done anything. The fact that he literally had just identified my car. Apparently other people who drive the same car are not good drivers. Yeah. But the greatest irony of this story is that he had distracted me so much. The lights Jesus. changed and I missed the lights. Which, and then he just looks at me like, I told you. And I was like, <laughs> not I told you. That's entrapment. This is on you. You made me do this. I was ready to go. <laughs> And now I've got someone beeping fuck you behind me. Maybe it's polite, but I can't tell. <laughs> they can't sit you up. <laughs> Maybe I am. A, 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 well, of course I am a dickhead. Like I'm a professional dickhead. Like uh, so you, you might be right. But the idea that you could have a 100% strike rate with any demographic of yeah. people, like I mean I think if – like if only dickheads bought Audis or all dickheads bought Audis, then you as someone who's worked in advertising, they would be super aware of that. Like yeah. you'd be in a meeting, they'd be like, we've done some research, we've identified, we've got 100% strike rate with dickheads. All our advertising yeah. is now going to go entirely to dickheads. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. why, are we wasting, <laughs> why are we wasting time advertising to people who aren't dickheads when it's only yeah. dickheads who buy our car? Yeah, let's just start a magazine. Dickheads yeah. are us and just right. advertise to them straight Full, full of other dickhead stuff and put a few Audi ads in. Yeah. Perfect. Job some done. in there. <laughs> Crocs. What else do dickheads like? Yeah, we can fill this full of it. Margarine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hi, Will. Thanks so much.
much for coming on the podcast. I've had such a good time. I'm Me glad we too. asked you for a conversation starter. Otherwise, Thank you. Never we didn't get, get to those, unfortunately. This, unfortunately, but we'll not save today. those next time. <laughs> Maybe on your podcast. Yeah. And that's a wrap for this week's double episode with Will Anderson. If you liked this episode, you'll love our back catalogue. I really don't know if I can pick just one as my favourite episode, but if I did have to choose, I'd probably say Luke McGregor. I mean, there was a lot of chat about adult nappies, but you will have to listen to find out the context for that. (laughs) Or the episode with Sarah Millican is iconic. Ursula shares a story about her, a plane and a pair of underwear. Just head to wherever you get your podcasts and search That's Enough Already. But we'll catch you next Monday for a fresh new episode. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of That's Enough Already, hosted by me, Ursula Carlson, and produced by Natalie Turner. Supervising producer was Nick McClure, and special thanks to Ella Leaf and Big Sutherland. Couldn't do it without you, gals. If you like this podcast, remember to subscribe, share it with all of your friends, tell your mum, tell your sister, don't tell that annoying brother of yours, you know, but definitely share it with a friend. 